everybody. Happy Monday. I hope you all are doing fabulously well. Um, and I hope that you are off to a really good start for your week. Um, I am so excited to be here to bring you uh, round four of space events for the month of December. Um, I decided to combine two weeks into one just because there's so many things going on. Uh, so I figured why not just put all that information together. So hello, um, you might have known me by now. My name is Athena. I am the host here of Space Talk. Um, and today, well, as we usually do, starting on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time, we kick off this week in space events. So that means everything from what you could see in the night sky uh, for both nearby celestial objects, really far celestial objects, and then deep sky objects. And then also space history, astronomy word of the week, and the moon phase, and maybe even some breaking space news occasionally. Now, since, as I mentioned, that I decided to combine two weeks in one for this one, because it's a little bit of a lengthy uh, holiday vacation, um, I decided to uh, make this episode uh, limited with callers. So as far as calling in, um, if you wanted to join, do that, maybe wait for the next episode um, to join. Otherwise, this one, I do want to try and get through all the information that we have today uh, for the things we have look, to look forward to for this week. So the first thing is uh, tomorrow is the winter solstice. So December 21st uh, at approximately 9.59 a.m. Central Time is when the winter solstice completely transitions from going um, from fall and autumn into the frigid cold of winter. Uh, so it's at about 15.59 UTC. Uh, so that's standard court, standard courted, <laughs> coordinated universal time. <laughs> Excuse me. Coordinated universal time. Um, so that should be fun. Uh, definitely get ready for wherever you are. Uh, might be super cold. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, happy summer. <laughs> it'll also it'll be the transition now into summertime for you so i hope you're having a wonderful warm season um i always want thought about you know chasing the summers one day and going from warmth to warm to warm place however i can't complain i'm here in texas and although it's a little bit cooler today it's been quite warm uh, compared to what i'm used to in new york so it's it's pretty nice so now I'm going to move into all the different things that you can catch this week from Musty Celestial Events dated December 20th, just today, until the 31st, which is New Year's Eve. So Mercury is now returning to visibility. So if you haven't had a chance to catch the planet, the tiny little planet closest to um, our sun, you can catch Mercury uh, starting on December 24th. So we've got Christmas Eve. So it's December 24th. Uh, it's going to be visible in the evening sky at a negative 0.7 magnitude. So you could see this without binoculars. And it's setting at about 1.5 hours after the sun sets. So an hour and a half after the sun already sets, um, you'll just have a small window in which you can actually catch Mercury. So good luck. I hope you can see that. We still have Mars visible all month in the early morning sky over your southeast horizon at a magnitude of 1.6. So you still got that to catch if you're an early morning riser. And some more early morning risers. If you want to do, say, a, a New Year's Eve like trip out somewhere uh, where it's just like you're, either you're camping or 
I don't know, maybe you want to just wake up early morning. I usually love doing an early morning meditation, um, both on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, just to sort of conclude the year and then start a new year. Um, You have some beautiful things to catch in the sky. So about an hour before sunrise at dawn, December 30th and the 31st, um, you have over your southeast horizon, the crescent moon and also the constellation Scorpius with the planet Mars and the brightest star in Scorpio, the Scorpius constellation known as Antares. So you have this really, really cool visual that you can catch. Uh, so just about an hour before sunrise at dawn, if you're waking up right before um, the sky goes from dark to light, just face your Southeast horizon. You can catch this really beautiful view of the red planet, a red giant star Antares, which is the Alpha, um, Alpha Scorpi, Scorpii, I believe is what it would be called. Uh, basically, it's the brightest star in the constellation. The second brightest star would be Beta, but then that's just the nickname. Um, and that would be in the Scorpius constellation. So if you want to go ahead and check that out, that should be really, really nice. Now, since we have Mercury visible, Nowadays in the evening sky, that brings me to astronomy word of the week. So I get some music playing for astronomy word of the week. We have something that has to do with Mercury. Um, If you were able to guess that it is Mercury retrograde, you are right. Um, Decided to go with retrograde uh, actually for this week because that is an often misconception of what it actually means. Um, A lot of people tend to think it means that the planet is actually moving completely different in its orbit, but it's the apparent motion in which we see here from Earth. So the apparent motion, just like if you remember apparent magnitude versus absolute magnitude, it's what we are perceiving from our planet here on Earth. So the apparent motion of a celestial object, and it's that it's either moving backwards or changing direction in its orbit, uh, and then continuing along its path as it usually would. And so this can be caused by like several different factors. It's typically just an optical alignment that we catch here between Earth and whatever the celestial object is. So taking Mercury, for instance, and Mercury retrograde is when the planet appears to move backwards in its motion. And so really, really important factor to keep in mind. Uh, that is something that maybe when we do an astrology versus astronomy talk, um, that will probably come up because uh, that tends to lead to a lot of misconceptions that it's actually affecting us, our moods, our um, way of communicating, stuff like that. And um, it's 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 not. It's, it's not true. It does not do that. Um, so that could be a really interesting thing for us to talk about. So. That is for musty celestial events this week and astronomy word of the week. And we've got the winter solstice tomorrow. And now we're going to go into deep sky objects. Let's get a little music going before we get into our deep sky objects. Alrighty. So for our deep sky objects, um, which means typically 
most of the time it tends to be either galaxies, nebulae, or or like star clusters, um, such as open star clusters or globular clusters. Um, And they tend to be very, very far away from us. Um, And so when we say deep sky, it's literally what it sounds like. It's something that's located so far away that it can end up being very dim to the unaided eye. So if you're just looking at the sky without a telescope or binoculars, it'll be very difficult to catch these. Some of them can end up being bright enough where you could see them. But sometimes they're a little bit too dim. So these two objects are pretty exciting. Um, They're twins, as I would like to call it, even though I don't know if that's the proper name is twins. But on December 28th and December 29th, you have two open star clusters that are visible. One of them is known as NGC 2232. And the other one is NGC 2244. Now they're both open star clusters that are visible in the same constellation, which is the Monoceros constellation. And it's visible in both the northern and southern hemispheres. So this is really exciting. So wherever you're located, you'll be able to see both of these star clusters. Now, before I get into how you can see it, I just want to give a quick breakdown of what an open star cluster is versus a globular cluster. You might have heard me use the term globular cluster before. Those are usually older stars. Uh, There's usually made up of a a lot more stars as well. could be tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of stars that are all bound together gravitationally. And they tend to be located much further away and they tend to be a lot older, the stars that are made up of in these globular clusters. Whereas open star clusters tend to be younger stars. So like blue stars, white stars. Um, They also tend to be fewer as well. So there's a few that are gravitationally bound. So when I say few, you can have anywhere between like enough to fill up like, you know, each um, hand, each of your hands. So like less than 10, or you can have tens, maybe some like twenties, but that's usually right around where the cap is, is a couple to a couple dozen. But they're really beautiful. When you can see them, it's it's quite a sight to see. And the second one is actually located in the Rosetta Nebula. So if you really have some cool astrophotography equipment or an awesome telescope, uh, you can also capture this open cluster within the Rosetta Nebula. And that should be so beautiful. But otherwise, you also be able to see these um, at a pretty, pretty good magnitude. Um, where it might be visible to the unaided eye. So I'll start off with the first one on December 28th. So that's NGC 2232, if you wanted to write that down. It's the open star cluster in Monoceros, as I mentioned before, visible in both both the northern and southern hemisphere. It has a magnitude of 4.2. So this is right at that cusp in which the limit for the, the naked eye is able to see. So you might be able to see it, but I would recommend going to really, really dark, dark skies. So again, if you're planning any type of like New Year's camping trips or anything like that, um, if you want to squeeze in the 28th and the 29th of December, you'll be able to to get catch these really, really gorgeous star clusters. So uh, definitely head to a dark sky. 
if you want to try and see it without binoculars or a telescope. Otherwise, if you're doing it in a more light polluted area, I definitely recommend just getting a small pair of binoculars, nothing crazy, maybe like a 10 by 50, which I refer to a lot here on this podcast. Um, that the 10 is just a 10 times magnification of what our eye could see. The 50 is the diameter of the lens. So just go ahead and check that out. For the Northern Hemisphere, I'll start off with that. And um, if anyone wants to send any emojis in the bottom right of your screen, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, just send over a few emojis so that um, I know I've got some Northern Hemisphere peeps here. Awesome. Just got an emoji. So it's going to start rising at around 2020, but that's 8.20 p.m. uh, local time. So depending kind of where you're located in the Northern Hemisphere, if you're in the U.S., 8.20 p.m. local time. So whether East Coast, West Coast, mainly because the sun is still going to be setting on the West Coast when you're in the East Coast, but you could start to see it sooner than the West Coast. Point is, rising at around 8.20 p.m. local time, just 17 degrees above your eastern horizon. So over your eastern horizon, remember how to find 17 degrees. Hold your fist out at arm's length. Your fist, an average per adult human's fist is about 10 degrees from the base of your knuckle to the top of your knuckle. And so 17 degrees will be just a little bit more than that. So if you just put your fist right above the horizon, it's at zero. You stack another fist on top of that and you've got 10 degrees. And then you keep going 20 degrees, 30 degrees. So you should be able to catch it about 17 degrees above your eastern horizon. But then it reaches its highest point if you want to stay up late. At about 12.35 a.m. So if you want to wait for it for then, I recommend that because also your sky will be a lot darker. And uh, it'll be higher up. It'll be 51 degrees above your southern horizon. So now you have 51 degrees above your southern horizon, much higher up. So that should be much more comfortable um, to catch. You don't have to worry about being highly, like high elevated up on a, on a building or a hill. You can look over like the trees. It will be above your buildings. And then for our Southern Hemisphere friends, if we have anyone in the Southern Hemisphere, I'd love to maybe have you send over an emoji in the bottom right of your screen. That would be awesome. Anyone in the Southern Hemisphere, This open star cluster, 2232, will be rising at 22.08 or 10.08 p.m. local time at 32 degrees above your eastern horizon, reaching its highest point at 1.45 a.m., 61 degrees above your northern horizon. So if you want to catch it early, keep in mind 10.08 p.m., 32 degrees above your eastern horizon, highest point. 1.45 a.m., 61 degrees above your northern horizon. So that is for the first open star cluster. And then the next day, you'll have another star cluster visible with the Rosetta Nebula in which it encapsulates the entire star cluster. So star cluster is located right in the center of the Rosetta Nebula. If you haven't looked up images of it, um, I highly recommend typing it in. It's R-O-S-E. TTA Nebula, and it's beautiful. Some of the images that come through are just stunning. Uh, One of my favorites is this very vibrant red color. And in the center, you have that concentration of of blue stars. Um, And it's just so, so beautiful. Uh, I wish I shot that image, but I didn't. So on December 29th, this star cluster is now going to be visible, known as NGC 2244. 
and it's going to be in the same constellation as the one the day before. So that's pretty good news. You'll be looking in basically the same direction. A constellation is known as Monoceros. So if you wanted to use Sky Guide, like that app I recommended a couple weeks ago, or another app, you can type in Monoceros, which is M-O-N-O-C-E-R-O-S. So it's M as in Mary, O-N-O-C-E-R-O-S, Monoceros. So, and then you should be able to have exactly the location you need to face. But if you don't want to use the app and you want to do it the old-fashioned way, um, for my Northern Hemisphere friends, you're going to want to face your Eastern Horizon pretty early. It'll start rising at about 7.20 p.m. local time, 19 degrees over your Eastern Horizon. So just 19 degrees. And then reaching its highest point at about 12.35 a.m., 61 degrees above your southern horizon. So I'll mention that again for anyone in the northern hemisphere. It's rising at 7.20 p.m., 19 degrees above your eastern horizon. If you want to wait, stay up late, 12.35 a.m., 61 degrees above your southern horizon. So keep in mind as we go through uh, each of these objects that are visible week by week, you're going to start to notice kind of the same location of where to look for things. Typically, when things begin to start to rise, it's within your eastern your eastern horizon. You want to face your eastern direction. And why is that? Well, the sun just set the opposite way in your western area of the sky. And so it's still kind of light over there. But where it's darker is where you're going to start to be able to see the stars become more visible, which is why we say the stars begin to rise. And so we're able to start to now notice where they're located and then they'll cross over our sky. And then usually when they reach that highest point, tends to be over the southern horizon for those in the northern hemisphere. And those in the south tend to look the other direction. By the end, by the time an object reaches its highest point, they tend to have to face the northern horizon, which is interesting, which brings us now to the southern hemisphere. So whoever is located there, if you want to catch NGC 2244, the open star cluster in Rosetta, it's going to start to rise at 10.09 p.m. at 27 degrees above your northeastern horizon. So you guys got it pretty good there. You have it rising already at least at a at a decent height a reasonable height somewhere you could already start to see it 27 degrees above your northeastern horizon and then it reaches its highest point at about 1:45 a.m. at about 51 degrees above your northern about 51 degrees above your northern horizon sorry I just bumped the mic <laughs> so Keep that in mind if you want to try and catch that. Um, I think it's going to be so cool to see, regardless of if you're going to try and bring any equipment outside to image it. Uh, but if you're just going to go outside just to stargaze, it should be really stunning. It should be a gorgeous um, two days in a row of open star clusters. I'm definitely planning to catch those myself. Um, I've been like running outside trying to catch every single one of these events each, each week. Um, and I just need to start getting into doing more astrophotography with, with a scope that I have, uh, which I can give some recommendations um, towards the end of this episode. But we are going to start to take a musical break. 
Okay. Let's jump into space history. So we have got some pretty, pretty exciting events uh, that are going on from the 20th to the 31st in space history. A lot of space missions and a few discoveries. Starting with on December 21st, tomorrow, back in 1968, was when Apollo 8 launched. There's going to be something else regarding Apollo 8 in just a few days, which is going to be really exciting. So I will we'll, we'll mention that in a second. So December 21st, 1968 was the launch of Apollo 8. December 1st in 1988, Soviet cosmonauts on board the space station Mir set a space endurance record of 365 days. So pretty, pretty cool. Um, that's definitely something that hadn't been done before by by people uh living in space for a year that's that's pretty pretty extraordinary uh space endurance record of 365 days soviet cosmonauts on board the space station so that was that was definitely cool if you want to check that out this was the mir space station that's mir i believe they were interchanged though i believe it was uh interchanged missions between the cosmonauts but definitely um check that out that would be a really cool thing to to look look back on so those were both in the same day on december 21st and then on december 23rd in the year 1672 giovanni cassini discovered saturn's moon rhea oh cassini just this is this is why the cassini mission was named after giovanni cassini because uh, G- cassini just had so much um so many contributions to the understanding of Saturn, the Saturn system, not just its rings, but, but its moons too. And it's pretty cool because he didn't know in his time, but there are 82 moons of Saturn, which now outbeats Jupiter. Jupiter was always the planet with the most moons at 79, but recently there were more moons discovered around Saturn. Something even more of a fun fact that's kind of interesting is uh, probably about Five or six years ago, uh, it was discovered that within the rings of Saturn, there started to uh, be these like uh, collisions. Started, the collisions started happening of these icy, rocky materials within Saturn's rings. And it started forming moonlets, baby moons. And so that's probably a big possibility of where these moons might might have come from is probably from the rings and they're just a, a, like colliding of material over and over and over again and eventually forming these spherical bodies that can eventually break off that orbit and start to follow their own orbit around Saturn, hence becoming a moon of Saturn. So super cool things there. Um, December 23rd, 1672, the discovery of Saturn's moon Rhea. Now here is the fun event of Apollo 8. On December 24th, Christmas Eve in 1968, Apollo 8 became the first crewed spacecraft to orbit the moon. Just imagine if you were on that mission. Imagine if you were like in the spacecraft and, you know, it's, it's, it's Christmas Eve and like, you know, you're just whether or not, you know, like you, you celebrate the holiday, but just thinking about too, like what kind of there this is apollo 8 so they're from the united states but how big of a deal that is in in the u.s and then you're orbiting the moon 
for the first time um, and sending back like messages and information and, and, and imagery. This was just so um, just monumental. Like talk, talk about having a really epic Christmas card. If they, if they end up putting one together, I'm not sure if the astronauts did, but I would hope they did. I'm sure. And I know that the astronauts on the ISS now have done things like that. So it's pretty cool. So yeah, that was uh, 1968 on December 24th. Apollo 8 became the first crewed spacecraft to orbit the moon. We've got two more events in space history. On December 27th in 1571 was the was the birth of Johannes Kepler. Really, really important <laughs> figure in astronomy. Uh, we can get into his stuff another time, but yeah, uh, Kepler's laws just completely important with with understanding um everything when it comes to just the the motions of bodies in space and and how uh the systems form how they all behave with each other how uh any of this is is really even possible um just gravitationally so it's it's really we'll get into that another time but it's super cool uh incredible contributions to astronomy and then the final date is on new year's eve December 31st in 1774, Johann Ellert Bode discovered two galaxies in Ursa Major known as M81 and M82. Now, these two galaxies are really cool. Um, They're both spiral galaxies. And the Messier 81, M81, if you haven't ever checked out the images of it, it's so, so massive compared to its companion, M82. And these uh, are, they're really large in, in size. Um, they have an active galactic nucleus, which means that center part of the galaxy, its core, where this, there's probably a supermassive black hole. Uh, and it's, it's constantly um, causing an, interactions of all the matter, everything that's around it. And so it's, yeah, just a really massive galaxy. Uh, it's really far away from us as well. It's, it's about 11 million light years away. And it's pretty old. It's estimated to be close to about the age of the universe. It's about 13 billion years old. And so um, really important to analyze these types of objects in space uh, because, you know, that these are things that we're kind of looking back in time when we observe them. It can probably tell us so much just about um, not only companion galaxies and how they interact in space, but also to maybe how they evolve over time, what that might mean for our galaxy and what also that means for too, like where ele- we understand like where elements are coming from and how um, energy interacts, how how gravitational fields interact with each other, giving us a, a complete understanding of sort of just this, this, this ether of the universe, this fabric of, of space and time, how this intertwining happens. Um, and so the more that we can start to analyze these types of objects, I think the better we can construct this overall view of our, our universe in a whole uh, and the potential for other universes as well that might fall in that this, the same type of structure, the same type of category. So that was, if you want to celebrate that on New Year's Eve, cheers to the discovery in 
Okay, we're going to do another quick commercial, not commercial break. One of my is a commercial break, music break. <laughs> and then um, and then we'll jump into the moon phase and a few telescope recommendations. Okay, awesome. Oh, in the in the home stretch here, we're three minutes and twenty five seconds into that song. I love this song. It's it's so. I feel like it's such a such a perfect song. It's become so defining of this podcast as well. So definitely gonna stick to it. Um, it's it's not even a fancy song. I found on a royalty free music playlist on Spotify. So <laughs> nothing nothing too too crazy. I just really like the title. The name of it is Sky High. And I just thought that was like pretty relevant because we're talking about things that are in the sky and and beyond. Um, So um, our moon phase of this week is December 26th at about 924 PM Eastern time is the last quarter moon. So it enters the last quarter phase on December 26th at about 924 PM Eastern standard time. So those are basically all of our events that we've got lined up for this week and all the way until the 31st so that's kind of like a was that a week and a half that's yeah yeah that's i I decided like i said to combine two weeks in one um just because the amount of events that were going on and you know i think that we all should probably like you know not be on our emails as much um definitely tune into colin because i'll still be doing some broadcasts uh throughout throughout the week but you know, take some, take some time from, you know, checking emails and stuff like that. So that's why I sent out my transmission with those two weeks combined, um, which by the way, if you are ever interested in receiving my email transmission, I send it out every week. Um, if you want a written form of this and uh, you could just send me a DM, I'll add your email to the, um, the subscribe list because I currently am still constructing my website. And so I don't have a pop-up on there. Um, but I wanted to spend a little time recommending uh, some scopes that I've used that I am a big fan of. So a recent scope that I got is Unistellar. And Unistellar, they're actually a French company, um, Unistellar. I believe they're based in, let's see, they are based, I know they're based in France. I was trying to see where exactly in France they were based, but um the scope that I have is known as the Equinox, and I believe it's the Equinox 2 is the version. It is Equinox 2, so it doesn't have an eyepiece in it So, like to actually see because it's a digital telescope. So you connect it to your phone, and you process images on there. You connect uh, the, the, the telescope to that, and then you're able to control the telescope, move it to different objects. The app tells you uh, what's visible in your sky depending on where you are, and then it also... Um, kind of lets you know like what objects will be visible soon in like you know like a, a i don't know within hours 
maybe within days, kind of depending on what you're looking for. Um, and then you can sit there and process your image. So you can focus it on the sky, choose the object you want. It, it slews over to it. And then once it finds that object, um, you can just keep it processing for however long you want. I've got some really cool images of the Whirlpool Galaxy M51, uh, which I just love. It's like one of my favorites. Um, I've got a few galaxies before. Um, I think I've also gotten the Triangulum Galaxy. And uh, let's see, I've gotten a few nebulae, um, like the Cocoon Nebula, which is really cool. Uh, I've gotten pictures of Titan, one of uh, the moons of Saturn. Actually, let me make sure that's the moon of Saturn and not Jupiter. Okay, yeah, Saturn's moon. Because then I, I haven't imaged Saturn yet, but I have imaged Jupiter. And um, it, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I think being able to image uh, Saturn would be really incredible. So if if you're looking more for, say, not a, not a digital telescope, but say just an optical telescope, something for you to just look with with your eyes and see it, maybe hook your phone up to the eyepiece and take pictures too. Um, I really like the Orion quest. I believe that was the name. Let me just do a quick check on that Orion. Um, so the really, really big Orion telescopes, um, uh, yes, here we go. Um, there's the Dobsonian one as well, which is really good. Sky quest. Yeah. If you're going to type this into Google, I would type in. Orion SkyQuest, and then with the word telescope, I typed in Orion Quest, and like a vape came up. So <laughs> definitely avoid that. Type in SkyQuest. Reason I had to look it up real quick is because I don't own the scope, but um, the first time I I used it was um, in New York City at Columbia University um, doing their astronomy outreach program, and it was so cool to be able to um, just look at the sky with 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 this telescope. It was the first time I saw the rings of Saturn. Um, it was the first time I saw the bands on Jupiter, which was really cool. So really great telescope. If you wanted to save up for that, I believe it goes for a couple grand um, on Amazon. Let's see. So it's, it's yeah, definitely, definitely a great telescope. Um, what else have I used? The Orion Star Blast Reflector Telescope. It's smaller. So um, difference between reflectors and refractors. So a refracting telescope is kind of what it sounds like. It's refracting the light coming in from the star and it's bending it until it reaches the perfect, the perfect focal point, which is right where your eye would be. And the focal length is the distance between the top lens to the lens in which you see with your eye. And so it bends the light a certain, a certain amount. And so that way it's able to magnify it so you could see it close up. A reflecting telescope still bends the light, but it, it reflects it off of a mirror, then to another mirror, and then finally to the eyepiece in which you, what you would see. So this is why the telescopes are a lot smaller. So reflector telescopes, definitely smaller, better to see objects, um, sometimes a little bit clearer. Some people prefer refracting telescopes, but just, you know, maybe test out, test them out. See if you can do a rental. Um, I would highly recommend that. Um, so at Unistellar, I did that as a rental, um, a little bit different. Um, I, I'm, I'm part of their ambassador program, so uh, a, a little bit different um, of, of a setup, but you definitely can rent telescopes. And so if you ever wanted to just sort of see what you like, um, I would recommend doing that. I think that would be um, 
sort of the best route to go when it comes to seeing what you would want to use every day, like maybe either on your balcony or your backyard. Um, so that is, that's basically everything that, that I wanted to, to cover today for, um, this episode of space talk, um, uh, got a lot of really cool events that I hope you get to catch this week. Um, and I hope that, yeah, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and next week. Um, I will be doing a few more episodes. Um, I've got tomorrow's episode. Uh, oh, I'm going to kick off the discussion of historical figures. Right. So this was something I really, really wanted to get into um, was the historical figures. So as I mentioned today, Johannes Kepler is going to be a really important person to talk about what their contributions were to the field of astronomy. And then I'm also going to kick off how celestial objects are named. So such as like why comets have a name of a person and galaxies have some like weird you know, alphanumerical name. So I'm going to get into that and um, and a few other things. But that is um, basically everything that I wanted to cover. But thank you all so, so much for being here this week um, or this episode. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. And if I don't get to talk to you or hear from you um, until you know next week or the following, I hope you have a, a lovely holiday weekend and week, uh, whether you celebrate Christmas or whatever holiday you're celebrating or New Year's. Um, I hope you have a lovely, lovely rest of your of your month. Alrighty. So until next time, add Astra.